This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Databox's Metrics and Chill podcast. I am here today with my non-alcoholic IPA and a bottle of Prime, just to balance it out, uh, and special guest Connor Jeffers, uh, known as a dual CEO of both Aptitude 8, uh, eight marketing agency and HubSpot solutions partner, uh, and happily a, uh, software company that builds exclusively on the HubSpot platform has multiple products. We'll dig into details as we go, but welcome Connor. Thanks for joining. Thank you. I thought you were about to introduce it to me as your non-alcoholic friend. And I was like, Oh Pete, you don't know me that well. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't know you that well, honestly. I think that's <laughs> why we're talking here today. Right? So. Um, Connor and I had a run-in the other day on LinkedIn. Um, Connor and I are both pretty active, uh, posters. Uh, I wouldn't call it shit posters, but an occasional shit post on, on Val- LinkedIn. Value posters. Value posters. What's that? Value posters. Value posters. Yeah, oh yeah. Not shit posters. Value posters on LinkedIn. And so, uh, think you posted something really glowing about HubSpot. And then Doug Davidoff chimed in, another HubSpot Solutions partner, owner, uh, Doug, who I interviewed a few weeks ago on the podcast uh, from Lyft Enablement. And he chimed in and he had some critical comment about the news related to HubSpot. And so my like Saturday morning, oh, this is kind of, I laughed, right? And I thought it was funny. And my Saturday morning comment, I'm like, I can always count on David, Doug Davidoff for being like, the biggest critic of anything. And I can count on Connor Jeffers for being a boot a bootlicker of HubSpot. And uh and that really got your go, didn't it? I I was just, I saw this. I was literally on a plane to Mobsapalooza on the West Coast. I'm in New York, so it's a it's a long flight. Uh and I was just like, I'm gonna write a list of all the things I don't like about HubSpot and I'm gonna tag Pete. <laughs> Be like, do you see I'm fair and balanced? I like how um, Dharma Shah, the co-founder of HubSpot, uh, chimed in in your defense. That was very nice of him to say, oh, no, I don't think Conrad's a bootlegger. Uh, I think that's fair. And then Andy Petrie, who runs a big portion of the product, also always came in to your rescue and complimented you and said something like, we always get great critical feedback from Connor. So, uh, and that's the way he thinks of you as someone that's a really good uh, sparring partner to help get uh, feedback. So. Um, I'll officially retract my insult in quotation marks on the bootleg. My work comment. here is done. You know, you know, we can end the podcast. <laughs> All right. So let's jump in. So um, you started Aptitude A four years ago. And you now have, you're now around 5 million in annual revenue and 30 employees. Is that right? Yeah, it's like 30, 30, somewhere in the low 30s. Uh, I'm not going to fact Exactly. So that's, that's pretty good. A nice profitable business you're running there, if I had to do that math. Yeah. And then, uh, um, and you did it fast. I think probably one of the faster rises uh, in the HubSpot solution partner program. Would that be yeah. accurate to say? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then you weren't happy with that. That's not enough for you. I so, don't know if I wasn't happy with it, but, you know, I am diseased. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's not the curse of the entrepreneur. You can, you know, always, there's always, there's always Elon Musk to compare yourself to. So you're never going to be, you can you're just never, be like, oh, it's fine. I'm not doing enough. So I can, I, I just, it's fine. Yeah. You need to start four more companies. 
Um, yeah. So you started a second company called Happily to make yourself happier um, and happily with one P, I think, and one L. Um, you launched a handful of products that are built on the HubSpot platform, meaning like if you don't use HubSpot, you can't use these products. Is that right? Correct. Cool. And I think you're the first person to maybe do that, like, uh, and go on. And you're at least the first person, I think, to do that and also raise some seed capital yeah. from HubSpot, right? Yeah. So HubSpot, HubSpot Ventures invested in that business uh, and it runs fully independently from, from A8 uh, and we are building a bunch of apps on, on HubSpot. So we sort of 5X, it's, it's early days, right? But we sort of 5X ARR on, on the Happily side this year, which has been awesome. Uh, and we are building stuff specific for, for HubSpot. So we have, a, uh, we have some like basic utility type applications uh, and then we have some bigger, cooler stuff. Like we have Zebra, which is a super robust Stripe HubSpot integration. If, if you're a SaaS company, you can create, provision, upgrade, downgrade, manage subscriptions all from, from HubSpot. Yeah, so, uh, and well, so yeah. the original, <laughs> yeah, the original, the original thesis was basically at A8, we sort of like work with a one-off customer, solve for their use case and sort of what they want to do. Uh, and with Happily, we kind of take the insights from that and uh, scale it up into how can we build something that's, that's mass applicable. Uh, and then we spun it out when, when HubSpot Ventures kind of approached us and said, we're really excited about this. Uh, we need yeah. sort of a lighthouse for the ecosystem and we would love for this to be it. Uh, and so uh, I have two co-founders on the Happily side um, and I am the the only founder on the AA side. Got it. Okay. Very cool. And so, and it's a separate business now. These are separate businesses. Separate businesses. You, you incubated out. Like, like by PwC with HubSpot Ventures. Yeah, I can imagine invest in you if it was a merge business because that would not. Yeah, yeah. Right lots there. of, lots of diligence. Uh, yeah which was intense, but it's good. Good. Cool. And HubSpot wants to encourage that. Like they want to encourage people building on their platform, innovating on their platform. Yeah. So there's oh. us. And then, uh, I mean, there's a handful, I think like people building native, then there's lots of people building connected solutions, right? I think that the, it's really interesting because the market HubSpot marketplace today is largely other products that then integrate right. with HubSpot to varying yeah, degrees. Yeah. Uh, right. And the only native ones that, and then there's some new stuff that's happening uh but it's like org chart hub is one that's really popular that's like fully native doesn't do anything outside of hubspot uh arrows which is another hubspot ventures portfolio company um and then there's a whole bunch of ones that have kind of crossed up uh and it's awesome to see what doesn't super doesn't super qualify there too so it's interesting uh super is like totally native and, and based in the HubSpot ecosystem, but it does not run yep. in HubSpot. Like at its core, it's a Chrome oh, extension. Oh. Uh, okay. And so they, yeah, they're yeah. installing stuff into HubSpot and then they're running on top of HubSpot, uh, which is really interesting because they were the first ones to do big Chrome extension stuff. And originally right. that was like outside of the HubSpot terms of service. And so we had a, we like happily, we're building a CPQ solution, which will launch uh, hopefully at the end of Q1. But the big blocker yeah. for us was in order for CPQ to be effective, you have to like prevent users from doing stuff, which there's limits on how much you can do that inside of HubSpot. And so we wanted to do that. We didn't do it because we'd have to do a Chrome extension. Super said, forget it. We're going to do it anyway. And, and then HubSpot was like, hey, we're going to allow it, but like we'll do this in, in sort of a different way. So cool. I didn't realize that, but now I get it. Yeah. I see the distinction. Thanks for, thanks for explaining. Um, cool. All right. So let's, let's talk a little bit about Aptitude 8. We'll also come yeah. back and talk about Happily, but let's talk a little bit about Aptitude 8. Um, so you're, um, I think you explained it to me the other day, like you're, you have a leg in both businesses, but you're, um, 
you really have a team there that's built at this point that's kind of running the day to day, month to month, et cetera. Yeah, so we have we have a, there's a, there's a A8 leadership team, there's there's a happily leadership team, and so I if I die tomorrow or I or I decide to just like go away for a month, uh, businesses will run, things will be fine. Yeah. I'm sure that there'll yeah. be some some questions and some messes that people have wanted and information about uh, when I get back, but uh, both right. of them are are fully able to run uh, independent of sort of me on the day to day. That awesome, nice, holy crap, cool. All right, so. Let's jump in. We're going to do this is another behind the benchmark episode. For those of you who haven't been on a behind the benchmark episode, uh, what we do is we actually live compare uh, the performance of uh, the guest's company, in this case, Connor's company, Aptitude 8, with a group of like companies. Uh, and I have a group that I've built, a benchmark group, we call it, of top tiered HubSpot partners. There are currently 105 top tier partners. I've done this kind of a, I'm sorry, 105 top tier partners in my group that have opted in. I think there's like 600 or so platinum, diamond, elite HubSpot partners in total. So 105 represents a one sixth of, of that group. So it's a pretty representative sample of the group and therefore is a pretty representative sample of the sales and marketing performance of that group. So we're going to dive in and pop up, um, the numbers, Connor and I are going to look at some numbers and charts. We'll describe what we're looking at. And then we're going to talk about what Aptitude 8 has done in order to achieve those targets or achieve this uh, level of, uh, of performance. You ready for that? Let's do it. All right. All right. So um, I do this in three parts. Usually I've done this with four other partners. So if you have, haven't listened to them, go back to the Metrics and Chills feed and you'll see uh, four other HubSpot partners I've done this with, SmartBug. Jen Spencer, CEO of SmartBug, uh, Doug Davidoff, CEO and founder of Lyft Enablement, um, Lauren Ryan, uh, founder, chief, uh, she calls herself the chief marketing nerd at uh, Coastal Consulting, um, and uh, one more, Bob Ruffalo, of course, from Impact. Uh, and so th this you mark number five, um, in all of these situations, you're all outperforming the median, um, but each uh, company is really doing it in a different way. So we're going to talk a little bit about how um, up-to-date approaches drive, driving or generating traffic to their website, how they approach converting uh, traffic into leads and how they approach converting those leads into revenue. Um, so we'll start with the traffic side. So on aptitude date, I'm looking at your traffic here, Connor. Um, and I see that last month you had 10.5 thousand sessions on your website. I can see that your page views were 1.47 page views per session. Uh, I can see your average length is one minute and seven seconds and your bounce rate is 73%. All of these, in all of these situations, you're outperforming the median of the group. And actually in three out of four or two out of four, you're outperforming the top quartile uh, and the other ones, you're, you're either really close to the top quartile. So in the case of sessions, you're doing like, again, you're doing 10.5 thousand sessions a month, but the median or the middle 50% performance is 2.34. So you're doing 5X the median there. Um, on the average session length, you're beating them uh, the, there as well. Uh, the median is 57 seconds. You're one minute, seven seconds. Bounce rate is really good at 73% compared to the median of 82. And page views per session, uh, you're beating the median there uh, at 1.47 and the median is 1.34. So something you're doing is right in terms of growing your traffic, you both have more. You, you, first of all, a lot of the members of this group have been around for 10, 15 years and like 
they were doing inbound marketing when you were probably still in college. Um, I don't know how old you are, but I'm just uh, guessing. Your, your, uh, math, your math checks out. Your math checks out. Uh, well, yeah. So, I, yeah. Some of these, some of these people running this ages, these these agencies have, uh, are ten years my senior, so I know they they got you by a few decades, uh, and they've been at it. They've been writing blog content since 2006, 2007, 2008, whatever. And you jumped in four years ago, and your five x sessions and your traffic quality is really good, right? Better page views per session, better average session length, better bounce rate. So all 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 four of those numbers check out. So what the hell are you doing? How did you do all this? Yeah. So it's interesting to me is I I don't know. I'm trying to think of the last time I looked at our web analytics and if I I, I don't think about it and I don't manage to do it at all. Uh, yeah. I, I say pretty often I care many multiples. I care about our LinkedIn presence than I care about our our website itself. Um, mm. And that's where we spend the vast majority of our time and energy is, is I see sort of LinkedIn is the on-ramp and then our, our site, our whole site is basically just like a super landing page as opposed to being a thing that I think draws in organic traffic. That being said, I mean, yeah. we, we produce a lot of content. Um, most of our stuff is around how to do something, uh, or, or how HubSpot might work for a specific use case. I think the difference for sort of the type of organization that we are, um, is a is not in the performance business. So so not only are we, we're not a marketing agency, but there's a lot of folks that have kind of pivoted. Dan, Dan Tyre says like, I invented RevOps, which is not true. Uh, <laughs> but like we were doing a lot of the RevOps stuff. We don't have as much messaging on that that we do a lot of it today because it's gotten really noisy. Um, but the I think a lot of folks have said, oh, well, we're an agency or we do RevOps work, which is we, we administer HubSpot to help people achieve like a growth goal, um, which yeah. is 0% of what we do. And so I think, all of our messaging and all of our content is really focused around here's how we can build stuff uh, and here's how you can use the platform to solve for a particular outcome or a particular goal. And so I think the type, the quality of the traffic that we get, regardless of sort of how it's getting into us, is probably because it is people that are like have a specific problem that are looking to solve a specific thing as opposed to yeah. like, how do I grow my business or how do I generate more leads, which I think is like really, really wide. And so our, our focus, I think, is pretty narrow uh, in, in terms of who we want to talk to and what we want to do and, and how we want to work. But web traffic is is low on my priority list. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So so I get that it's low on your priority list, but I know people where it's high on the priority list and you're still out, you're still up. Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like what's happening in the funnel. It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth, and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. 
If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. Publishing them. So I look at the number, the amount of content that you're publishing. Um, I can see here that you know you've published three hundred and uh, let's say three hundred thirty-two blog posts. And the top quartile in this group, again, people have been blogging forever, is three hundred thirty-three. So you're you're one shy. And I think you should actually just go freaking publish a blog post right now. I'll just publish one right after that and be like, well, I'm now above the top, top quartile according to. <laughs> uh, but no, I get I get your point. I don't I don't want to diminish your point. So yeah, so you said a lot there. Um, I get that LinkedIn's a, LinkedIn's a big thing for you. We should actually come back to that. Um, and, and, um, I think the way you position yourself is different, uh, in that you're not positioning yourself in the way that the typical marketing agency or classic HubSpot partner positions themselves, which is like, Hey, we're a partner in your business growth. We'll help you do the things or we'll do the things for you that help you get more traffic, get more leads, help you, your sales team be more uh, effective, right? What you're doing is helping them really implement technology to achieve an outcome. And you're you're looking at that, I'm guessing, uh, in a lot of different ways because you've built a lot of technology in your other business and I'm guessing you apply a lot of technology in Aptitude 8, um, even beyond the tools that you've built. So you're really solving, I would guess, like more of a wide range of, problems that people encounter once they start using technology to grow their business. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if you think about where we sit, like if you ever came into our sales funnel and you were like, Ow. our focus is we want to grow our web traffic. We'd be like, oh, weird. Uh, weird. Why, why, why are you talking to us? Uh, but, but I think our focus is we're really, we're a technical consulting firm. I think we look a lot some more similar to like a blue wolf or a slalom. Like I think if you really want to understand, I'm probably giving away secret sauce, which is which is Pete's goal. Uh, but I, I think if you want to understand where AA is and how we message and what we do, um, Blue Wolf, which is a company in in the Salesforce ecosystem that eventually got bought by IBM, like we literally go to Blue Wolf, we put it into the time machine and we try to clock like where's the HubSpot ecosystem development in comparison to where the Salesforce ecosystem development was. And then we just go yeah. look at what Blue Wolf's messaging was at that point in time. And like, yeah, that's, that's basically what our messaging is. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. I have, I have some friends from Blue Wolf, so I'm totally familiar with that trajectory. Friends from college again, way, way before you, way before you got the business started. And I remember that trajectory and they started out pretty small and, and grew massive. And then, like you said, sold to IBM for a very, very large sum of money. Um, and so, and I agree with you over the last few years, especially the HubSpot market, uh, HubSpot product has gotten way more sophisticated. Um, and that's brought larger companies on board with yeah. much more sophisticated integration needs, much more sophisticated uh, business use cases that they have to solve for. Um, and that's created a, a um, I would say almost a trifurcation maybe in the HubSpot marketplace. Um, where you have like the traditional marketing agencies that are still selling performance, as you say, where they're helping people grow traffic leads and sales. And then you have the CRM, maybe implementers that are maybe helping the sales team. And then you have more of the integration partners that are helping with custom integrations, web development, as well as a lot of the business problem solving around the entire platform. Uh, and I think you fall more into that third camp. Is that? Yeah. yeah. And, and like, as Dan Tyre says, um, probably pioneered that or partially pioneered that alongside maybe a few other people 
early like, I think on. that the, honestly, like the best, what I tell people, in, if, if I have the luxury of being in our sales cycles, which isn't all yeah. the time these days, um, is we're really a CRM company. Uh, and, and that's really what we are. That's what we do. And, and we, we are, I think when we, when like talent wise, we pick up some really amazing people who've done cool stuff in the ecosystem. And it's because they're the most capable technical person at the organization they're at, but they're kind of like the sideshow to the main, right? Like if you're a performance agency or you're like a mm. RevOps organization, you have technical resources, but like you don't really want to be in a position to have to do that technical work for a customer. You do it because you have to solve for something else. And so what we find is those folks are kind of like black sheeps and they're like, oh, no one I work with really understands what I'm doing. The value of what I'm doing isn't really low. And like no one's celebrating the technical work I'm doing there. It's just like a means to an end. Uh, whereas for us, that's really, that's core to our DNA. That's all that we do. And I, as a result, like we have the largest technical consulting team in the in the ecosystem despite not being the largest organization just because it's all that we do i see okay now i now i get the distinction and the and i think hubspot customers increasingly value that or the larger companies that are buying hubspot these days increasingly value that or value that now right they're always yeah. valued that now they now the hubspot value that yep got it okay all right so traffic isn't a focus for you although you're doing well with it and clearly you have somebody writing content over at Aptitude. We have we have we have an incredible marketing team uh and they they put out a lot of stuff. I see the blog post thing on here. What's interesting is uh yeah. we use blogs in HubSpot in a weird way. Uh and right. so if you hit like the resources tab on our site, like case studies are blogs, uh webinars are blogs, uh our blueprint yep. library are blogs, podcasts are blogs. Uh and so we use we have like six blogs running uh and all of them are are sort of feeding into our CMS site. And so blogs for yeah. us are not uh, like necessarily a blog article that we do. We do put yeah, some of those out. Like um, it's not it's like traditional a infrastructural decision. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of people use the HubSpot blogging platform that way to ma manage multiple types of content that they're maybe both combined in a resource section, but also separate, have separate pages and yeah. feeds. So totally makes sense. Cool. All right. So let's move on from from traffic generation. I do want to hit on LinkedIn because you are very active on LinkedIn. Um, I love, you know, the stuff you're putting out most of the time. Um, I think we disagree on a few things. So we get to have little conversations, which is fun. Um, but tell me a little bit about how that impacts your business. Yeah. So, I mean, we spend a lot of time and energy on LinkedIn uh, and we've also have like intentional built thought leaders on LinkedIn as well. So like Ryan Gunn on, on our team, who is our director of marketing, uh, we put a lot, like we use his LinkedIn page as a major distribution channel. Um, okay. And so he's got like 14, 14,000 followers, something like this. Um, but we think a lot about LinkedIn and LinkedIn also informs our like sales engagement strategy. So we, we I think one of the things that I would leave anybody with is like, in your sales process, if you connect with someone on LinkedIn during that process, they will get fed any content that you have created in the last like week or two uh, during that cycle. And so for us, that's basically free delivery uh, of, of content and messaging and things that we're doing and, and what we do. Uh, and so we spend a lot of time and energy on LinkedIn distribution and LinkedIn audience building. Um, and like if, if I had to choose between you get a LinkedIn presence or you get a website, I think I'd probably pick a LinkedIn presence. Wow, that's bold. That's bold. I want to make sure I, I want to unpack some of the stuff you're doing just to 
can make it real clear to people. So when you say like uh, LinkedIn, you're growing your LinkedIn connections, are you literally like connecting with people, like clicking follow or clicking connect? No, no, no. I'm not, I have like, I actually, that used to be a thing a lot of people would do, right? Is you would, you would either go do a lot of outbound connecting or you would sort of have like a bot or something to it. I do zero, we do 0% of that. So we are not going and connecting with people at all. What we are doing is creating and distributing a lot of content on LinkedIn and being intentionally active about engaging with and communicating with and connecting with people on LinkedIn, which is not the word connect is hard there. It's not creating like a LinkedIn yeah, connect right, so much as it is. If, if someone comments on something, your comments, like the most tangible example, right? We'll yeah. put out big guides to stuff or videos to stuff. And if we have some of the, the highest value interaction that you can have with something for us on LinkedIn is you tag a colleague. Like what that tells us is this resonates mm-hmm. with the conversation you're having internally. This is something that is important to you. We will reach out to those people and say, hey, we saw you engage with this. We'd love to have a conversation with you about it. Um, and oh. that is probably one of our highest drivers of, of interaction is that warm okay. connection. And I think it's a very different way of looking at like just straight. I, I think if you outbound message people and try to connect to them on LinkedIn with like a, you know, I saw we worked in the same, like it's just it's yeah, yeah, yeah. every day. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't want to make this about us, but we do similar stuff slightly differently. So we, uh, there's three of us that are active on LinkedIn. Uh, we spend time every day connecting with new people. We don't pitch. We don't trade up pitch. We connect with them. We usually leave a compliment on something that they're doing. And maybe that might be it. We might never even send another message to them. Um, but if they connect, then we try to start a dialogue with them, but not about what we do. We're usually sharing yep. some insight or the data that we think would be relevant to to something they're working on or something that's relevant to their industry or their market or whatever. A lot of times we're sharing, you know, a survey data point that we found that we think would be relevant to them. And we're literally just starting conversations. So that leads to sales conversations for us. But to your point, the more valuable thing is you publish stuff and then you connect with the people that leave a comment on your stuff. uh, And that leads to sales conversations. We also go out and leave comments on other people's things where natural, we're not forcing it, like where it makes sense. Uh, and that leads to connections as well. Uh, and then we also get a lot of inbound messages. Like if somebody sees us say something four yeah. times and resonates with them, then they're going to reach out and say like, hey, I've been struggling with that. Or, hey, I want your opinion on this or whatever. And those are obviously the best, most qualified opportunities. As I well. mean, we, so- we source qu- qualified ops, if I'm looking at yeah. percentages, is... 10 to 20% of our qualified opportunities come from LinkedIn every month. That's awesome. Cool. All right. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Moving on. Um, So the next thing in the benchmark is your kind of lead generation stats. And I know you said you're not like trying to grow your website traffic, but um, obviously we we care about people coming and submitting a form, right? That matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was trying to get to, right? Like you're getting website traffic. Yeah. You're also doing all this shit on LinkedIn. Not everyone messages you, but somebody might Google you. Somebody might follow yeah. a link, okay, right? And then, uh, you know, or somebody might refer you because of the content that you're posting on LinkedIn and then they're going to end up on your website and convert. And so clearly that's working. I'll share some of your data. So um, I'm going to share four data points. The page call to action clicks, the landing pages, landing page views, and and land sub- and landing page submissions. So on the call to action clicks, there's a little buttons on your website that people click and then they get to a form where they fill it out. So on those, you're getting 148 clicks last month. You should you got 148 clicks last month compared to the median of 21 
in the group. So you're way off the charts there. So you're bringing in, it seems, um, very qualified traffic. Not only is your bounce rate and page views per session and time on page really good, but your page CTA clicks are really high. So it must you must have good funnels from top of the funnel content down to conversions. Uh, you have 99 landing pages live, according to this, uh, which is higher than the group by um, almost in the top quartile. And then on the landing page views, you have 197 views last month. Um, and then in the submissions, you had 95 submissions last month uh, on, on your landing pages. So, uh, and the median of the group is 10. So you're doing 9x um, the number of uh, landing page submissions or leads captured on your website, according to this. Um, what are you doing there? Uh, I think we, so I have no gated content at all. Uh, so wow. okay. uh, all of those submissions are either event registrations or inbound okay. form submissions. Uh, and so we have, no, I think the first thing is we have no gated content philosophically, uh, yeah. to, uh, we have really leveraged CTAs, uh, and we try to drive a lot of conversations. I think the big thing. I, I'm a really big believer in dark social. We do all the like, how did you hear about us? Plain text stuff. We we care a lot and we pay attention a lot to where that comes from. And I, yeah. um, the vast majority of our interactions are either word of mouth uh, referrals from folks at HubSpot, which is like a primary audience we care about engaging with. Yeah. Um, and that's not always a direct, we're pulling you into this deal formally. It's like a, a HubSpot customer asks their CSM, hey, we're trying to do something like XYZ. And they're like, oh, I, I, you should reach out to, to apps to date. Like they, I saw some content that's relevant to the you about that. And so that's where we focus a lot of our energy. And I think that's why we make, try to make all of our content free and ungated and anyone can access it is I, I don't think that the first person that we engage with on any of that content ends up being the customer. Right. So it's other people in the network that are trying to solve problems for the mutual customer and they're the ones maybe saying hey these guys are a resource so you're getting a lot of referrals from hubspot that way um probably some other partners that don't do what you do um and then uh and then uh yeah and, and yeah i get i get totally get your point on that um so going back to what your offers are so you do events and then you yep. have when you say inbound lead submissions that means people like inquiring to talk to you like either Correct. setting up a call so, all right. So the only two conversion types you have are somebody signing up for an event, I assume a webinar or a yeah, webinar, webinar or something like that. Yep. Yeah. And then people basically saying, Hey, I want to talk to sales. Um, that's, that's cool. So not only do you have more submissions, but they're very bottom of the funnel, it seems. Um, yeah. and then on the, on the webinars, tell us a little bit about your webinar program. The one thing that may skew that, that I'll, I'll also speak to, it'll probably matter when we get done to deals too, is we run all of our hiring out of HubSpot as well. Uh, okay. and so. I would not be surprised that there is a lot of hiring applicant stuff going on there too. Um, okay. But we can get into that. Um, Thanks for being honest. Yeah. <laughs> what was the question? Uh, the webinars. Tell us about the webinars. What are you doing for webinars? Yeah. So we do a lot of partner webinars. Uh, and so one of the things that, that we do is we go and connect with a partner. We're telling them we'll do the content. We'll do the production. We'll make it really, really easy for you to come to this. And what we're looking for okay. is joint distribution. So we just did one okay. with both High Touch and HubSpot about reverse ETL stuff. Uh, yep. What we have found successful is we do a lot of workshops on here is how to build a thing or how to do a thing. And, and I think it's like we, the two things we think about are how can we demonstrate expertise? And then how can we also 
give away expertise for free. And, and people generally, people who are trying to solve a problem, when they come and they see an expert solving it, it generates a conversation. Uh, and so that's really what we spend a lot of time and energy on is, is we'll put out uh, content. We also do research. So we, we have a research partner. Um, we did one at the beginning of this year on total cost of ownership, Salesforce and HubSpot. Uh, we're releasing one here soon on uh, AI and, and go-to-market AI uh, and what people are using AI for actually, as opposed to like posting on LinkedIn about. Um, yep. And we have one coming out around that. And so any any research we do, uh, we'll typically do a webinar around as well. Um, and so webinars are just like one of the pieces of if we have a big strategic piece of content, uh, webinars are typically something we'll wrap around that as well. Okay, that's awesome. Cool. Similar story to uh, Lauren Ryan for Coastal Consulting, who I recently just interviewed on on, on podcast. Um, she's an expert at the Salesforce HubSpot integration. I imagine you know who she is. Um, and that's a she's big portion. Great, great yeah. person. Yes, agreed. Um, and that that's a big portion of her qualified leads are people attending uh, like a, what she call it? I think it was like a, a live, it, it was like a live show them how to do something. Like she just gets on and like says, here's how you do this hard thing in the technology with this integration and people attend that. And then, her, you know, we theorize that people then follow up, like follow up with her because they realize that they can't do it themselves. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's where she gets those leads. So it sounds like you're following a similar model. You're like, show them how to use this hard thing uh, and the business value of it, of course. And then that creates opportunities for you to, 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 pro to provide services yep. and help them with that stuff. Awesome. And you do that with a partner. So I uh, do it with other technology partners where you're basically coming to the table with like, we'll do everything. We'll, we'll make you look good, Mr. Technology partner. All you need to do is help us put people in the, in the, in the, uh, in the webinar seats. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, um, next up, let's talk a little bit about your sales. Uh, oh, yeah. oh so uh, let's talk emails first. So you're doing, you're doing a decent amount on email. It looks like you sent about 7.8,000, uh, uh, emails to about 7.8,000 subscribers. Um, could have been multiple emails last month, but 7.82,000. Uh, total email sent, and then 222 clicks. On the click side, you're way off the charts. Once again, you're almost 8x of what, um, actually you are 8x, of what the typical HubSpot's get partners getting in terms of emails clicked. Um, so you guys have a pretty active email program. What do you send it out? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we email is sort of a, a core additional channel. Uh, we throttle email, so I think we only send like, max one a week and probably is even less than that might be one every two weeks okay. um and we yep. basically look at email as uh, a content repository component uh and isolating those i think the other thing transparently and we can we'll, t we'll talk about this some of this is really interesting to me so i'm like digging into our hubspot account at the same time uh <laughs> but the um the the piece of this that's there is uh and when we get to some of these other pieces this will be relevant too but we we use hubspot for almost everything in the business so uh, right. I'm not sure what you guys are indexing if it's only marketing email uh, or if it's also. Yeah, like, oh, yeah this is just marketing email. Sorry. Yes. Just marketing. Yeah. Email. yeah, yep. yeah. So then my assumption, we also have some automated emails on on hiring right. and that applicant pipeline. And we have uh, a whole bunch of stuff. But but we we send emails uh, and usually it's a it's a rally of of content um, as opposed to like hey, you filled out a, a form on a page and then we sent you a thank you email and that email has like a click to the asset in it. Like you can just access the asset, but. Okay, I got you. I got you. 
So you're basically sending out content. Uh, I imagine you're promoting yeah. your webinars, maybe through the email. Promoting webinars, follow up emails for webinars. Uh, yeah. A lot of these these different pieces. I mean, our our what like uh, we just sent a COO announcement yeah. email. The, the high touch webinar email, of like, hey, we're doing this webinar is like a fifty percent open rate. So I think the webinar thing is something that most agencies don't do. Um, and I, I I maybe shouldn't even call you guys an agency. Do you call yourselves an agency? What do you call yourselves? No, not at all. Yeah, what do you call yourself? Sorry. Technical consulting firm. All right. Most technical consulting firms that I know, maybe <laughs> do that, don't do the webinars. Maybe they do. Or maybe I don't know. So we do a lot of video. So like I yeah. I like I'll ask you for the the video file from this particular conversation. Yeah, uh, here's yeah. the thing about webinars. People worry about generating a lot of attendance and the attendance doesn't matter. Like you do a webinar, right. you do a live event, you get to promote the live event. You then get to post about that you did the live event and you can put that on social. You can put it in an email. Hey, we just did this. Here's an on-demand recording. And now you have an evergreen on-demand asset. And like we have, we use it. We have a video team, uh, not in-house that we, we contract with. Uh, and we have mm -hmm. them chop up all of our video content, redistribute all of that into different assets. And so I, I'm any long form video that we have an opportunity to create. Uh, is just fodder for everything else that we do. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really a really good point. Like the 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 recording will get might get more traction on YouTube. A snippet of the recording might get a lot of traction on LinkedIn. Like there's so many ways to repurpose video on social and actually reach an audience these days that you shouldn't maybe worry too much about how many people are actually attending the webinar. Um, yeah, so that, that material. That you're and we don't even like we get leads from YouTube like mm -hmm. semi-frequently uh, okay. and just like people referencing, hey, I saw this YouTube video and we do some YouTube, but YouTube isn't like a major component of where we we spend our time and our strategy. There's people like the HubSpot hacks folks uh, do that amazingly well. Uh, and yeah. I, I think like do video, put video on LinkedIn, put video on YouTube, like leads come out the other side. <laughs> like that's a great use of someone's time. Yeah, no, YouTube's amazing, right? It's a search engine and people can subscribe and follow and comment yeah. and engage. Yeah, so it's it's a, a missed opportunity for most companies still too. It's because the hurdle to creating video is actually higher than than I think other things for most people. It, once you start doing it, it's not that high, but I think for most people, it's at least perceived as a as a challenge. All right, yeah. so doing fine on the email side. Um, let's talk a little bit about the sales now. So I can see based on the data that you are doing quite well um, on. Uh, the volume of deals you're creating, um, as well as closing and the close one amount. So um, looks like you create a shit ton of deals. Um, <laughs> we create a shit ton of deals. Uh, yeah. We also, I, I said the ATS thing earlier, uh, we create, we have a hiring pipeline. So we create deals oh. to the hiring pipeline as well. Yeah. Uh, but we, I mean, we create. You're really going uh, off uh, dude, with having this hiring I, pipeline. I am. I'm definitely, I'll tell you. We create in our, our sales pipeline about 60-ish deals a month. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sales pipeline makes... data. Um, yeah. And then there's some other stuff that gets it's in there. Some, for sure. And in your last month, you closed 17 deals. And if I look back at the benchmark timeline, um, that looks pretty consistent up and down between. Yeah, you got to filter benchmarks by by pipeline because I've got yeah. like, I've got multiple pipelines going for different things. I've got... Uh, like my closed seven net new sales deals last month with net new customers. Seven net new. Okay. 
And so, the, oh, and then the, t- the other 10 maybe, is that coming from other? 10 could be, uh, or- could be hiring pipeline, could be existing oh, you're business. Oh, candidates in the You need a, you ever heard of an ATS? You have, you just used you, the term. I built one. I made one yeah. at HubSpot. We use HubSpot and our ATS. Yeah, see, this comes back to my bootlicking thing. There's a lot of good ATSs out there. They're actually built for it. HubSpot's uh, an incredible ATS. I like yeah. it's, I no, it's better. I Paul Racer from back yeah. in the day, year 2020, he was one of the first people to to build it, build his ATS applicant tracking system inside yeah. HubSpot. Raved about it, and I'm like, yeah, seems like not the right thing, but I got you, and I understand why you would do it. Totally makes sense. Um, got it. All right, so seven deals, uh, which is actually right around the median, and of course, there might be other partners that are, you know, using using multiple pipelines too, uh, which are inflates. Looks like you're doing around seven deals, and then last month closed around two hundred thirty thousand uh, in close one amount. And if I look at the timeline of that, it looks pretty consistent as well. So, um, seems like your sales are pretty productive compared to the group. Oh, the median of the group, by the way, on the number of deals closed is six, uh, and the um, and this is last month, and then the median closed one amount is fifty four thousand. Um, so you're well above those those numbers on the close one amount, um, which I'd imagine you would be. Um, but yeah. yeah, walk us maybe through a little bit about your sales process. I do see that your sales cycle might be a little bit longer, but once again, the the applicant stuff in there might be screwing that up a little no, bit. No, I mean, uh, I think that that's like, I, I actually think that's short. I think our sales cycle is typically 45 yeah. to 60 days, uh, but we have folks yeah. that, I don't know, especially in December, man, we're closing a lot of deals that are like, we first talked to them in Q1 of this year, uh, and they're like, "Hey, we went, we did something. It was horrible, and we're <laughs> we want to try with you guys now instead." Uh, okay. And so we we have a fair amount of that, uh, but we would probably kill that deal, and then we'd open a new one, so it would reset your your cycles. Um, but yeah, if I look, if I look at your benchmark, just so that so that we're uh, you know being honest here, the benchmark says that it's forty six days, and you said it was somewhere between forty five to fifty, so I guess the benchmark's pretty accurate there. Um, and then it looks like over time, you know, we have July data through November, uh, November data here. So it looks like um, maybe your sales cycle has up a little bit over the last few months, but but pretty consistent there in between somewhere between yeah. 40. And hiring hiring pipeline deals close fast. Uh, sure. Like sometimes come in and there's yeah, one call here, right? So it's going to be like a day. Uh, yeah. But that, that's sort of what we see on the sales cycle side. Um, and then deal size for us, uh, I actually think is probably lower than how other people structure it um we we sell most work in phases so we typically are only selling phase one and then we have a a a post-launch like activation support contract engagement um that usually is live for at least a couple of months and so we bundled those two together but we wouldn't show like three months of that deal in there because we don't use deal amount on uh paying out salespeople. it's all around billings uh so the aggregate is I we use HubSpot in lots of weird and nuanced ways, and we maybe are ruining yeah. your benchmark data. We're going to ruin it in different ways, so it kind of works out. Usually, like this is the fifth yeah. time I've done. People look at, it and most people are like, "Yeah, that one's a little off, and this one's a little off from what I actually know." But usually, it's in the ballpark. I think because people screw it up in different ways, so it kind of yeah. balances out. We have a big enough sample now where you can buy, balance it out, and it's incredibly hard to build a benchmark around different funnels because. Uh, what you might call one funnel uh, would yeah. be different 
somebody else because so I can't automate the benchmark of that like we have. Can, um, can I latch onto that for like yeah. a second? Because yeah. I think that sure. that's like, that is a very important statement. And it's what makes me, the whole function of what AA does is we don't have playbooks. We don't have, like there's this trend right now that's happening in the HubSpot universe around like built, make a pre-built portal and then you install it for people. And I don't mm -hmm. think that makes any sense because of what you just said. Uh, which is every organization does stuff in different ways. And yep. like, even, even if you go down to a vertical of like, oh, this is our HubSpot instance for manufacturing companies. Uh, like that might be interesting for maybe a data model, maybe a couple of integrations. But like beyond that, I think every organization works very, very, very differently. And yeah. trying to conflate all of those and say, oh yeah, this is how, how you should manage it. Uh, I think, I think misses what the purpose of a lot of those systems are. Yeah, yeah, no, I can, I can, I can see you have an agenda on this and I'm, uh, I'm, tem I'm tempted to, I'm tempted to do, like make you say it like more bluntly, but I hear what you're saying. Uh, at, at your point, like a manufacturing company that sells uh, jet engine parts to Bose and, or not Bose, uh, Boeing and Pratt & Whitney or whatever, or companies like them that sell those parts, right? Um, they're going to have a very different, processes and systems and requirements totally. and a manufacturing company that maybe sells direct to consumers uh some widget of some sort uh, yeah that, yeah so that, that to me is like that's what i i love crm i've i've worked in the crm universe my entire career like that yeah. to me is what's really fun and interesting is i think every single organization is very very different and what they need to mm -hmm. track and manage is very very different and i think that yeah. the part that that I love, and I think by extension, everyone at, at A tends to love, uh, is we really love figuring out and solving that puzzle and, and saying, how do you build this so that it actually helps you? Uh, and right. I, I don't think that that's a, if it was an installable problem, uh, yeah. none of us would exist. Yeah, yeah. Like HubSpot would happen. Absolutely. Be I think there's a balance um, on it. And I, and if you're modeling your business after the Blue Wolf model, like everything's custom, right? Um, totally. And and you're gonna because these are big companies with complicated processes, multiple business units, multiple countries, et cetera. And so you're gonna go in and you're gonna do everything bespoke to to what their needs are. Uh, and, and it starts with the complicated specking process, especially as companies get bigger. Um, I also think it there's um a lot of companies out there that aren't using technology very well. Um, and there is an opportunity to say, hey, here's the right way to use this technology, and this is how we get started. And now we can evolve that over cool. time as we get into it. Um, so I think there's a play for both of having some uh, I 100% like, agree with you. I, I think that, that, yeah. And and then being open to of course changing it. And so um I think uh yeah I will I won't make you call out who you're calling out uh with this statement but um more directly but but I get what you're saying and and I think there's a there's a balance to be to be struck there. Um so I do, I do want to spend a little time with Happily. So Happily started when? Can do do you still have some time to keep going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, I have, uh, I have like another 10 minutes. Let's do it. Uh, Perfect. so happily was originally, uh, app chemist, which was Dax and Tyrone or the, the happily co-founders of mine. They were doing, uh, all the like micro utility app, basic stuff. They have like a cloning application, some other stuff. Uh, and they were building some stuff on HubSpot. They were both kind of moonlighting. I met them. We, I think we rolled them into a at the tail end of 2022 and then okay. happily spun out and was its own thing at the beginning of 2023. So we're, we're yeah. less than a year in and there's, there's one person that has been around for more than a year, uh, in the organization. So 
um everyone's kind of doing some stuff before uh and everything yeah. kind of came together but but happily as a company is sort of like under a year old that's awesome and then can you give us some feel for like the size and everything or yeah, yeah. so we'll, we'll close this year uh probably like we're over 500k in ARR right now and i think with december it'll probably be like 550 maybe maybe 600 we'll see what happens uh but yep. that's where they're happily at right now uh it's got 14 people um and so we have like a go-to-market organization we have a, a development team uh yeah. and a support you team must, you must, i don't know are you public about how much you raised Is, have you shared that uh in aggregate and there were there were in aggregate happily's raised about three and a half uh three and a half million is the total amount raised uh and that's across the the original hubsoft ventures investment is a a small percentage of that uh and then there was some some follow-on with uh some actually like major hubspot public stockholders that were excited and interested we got connected to and and wanted to be included uh, but there is no, yeah, formal institutional VC on the cap table right now. Um, raising this year, I, the vast, I guess all of that cash was raised this year, which when I say that out loud, it's like, it feels like a long time ago. Uh, but uh, raising money this year is really, really, really hard. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're trying to burn that slowly. Uh, and I think our, our intention is we think Happily can be a really capital efficient business as opposed to like, growth at all costs uh type of org and so yeah. we're kind of intentionally approaching it that way that makes sense yeah we're we're similar we've got we're at uh eight million a little less than eight million arr and cash flow break even we burned a bit this 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 year um but just got back to cash flow break even and plan to operate um well profitably in the in the coming year as well so it gives you gives you options gives allows you to yeah. have balance of short-term and long-term initiatives that have different different timelines and payouts so um yeah, uh, totally, totally on board with with that approach. I think it makes sense for your business as well. Um, cool. And so then the apps, there's multiple apps. So and the like you have the one that's like which one's doing the best? Since we only got a few minutes left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Associate is like our number one most installed app. Uh, it is basically a VLOOKUP tool in HubSpot. Uh, it's it's the original one that I made at A8, uh, which is why it's called Associate. And then I found out really quickly, like building an app that people can install and then like having a product that scales to thousands and thousands of concurrent users are like very different things. Uh, <laughs> we added in Docs and Tyrone and like built legitimate AWS infrastructure and, and everything else. I'll tell you that story some other time, but yeah, it's like a whole queuing problem, uh, and was beyond we're buying. Very, very familiar with this problem. There yes. you go. Uh, <laughs> so I did a lot of that, uh, and then the app that we spend the most time and energy on is is Zebra, uh, which is all sort of like payments platform. If you think about Commerce Hub and sort of what it's for and, and what Commerce Hub does, is I'm a I'm a business. I've never really transacted on the internet. I would like to transact on the internet, and HubSpot says, "Hey, use Commerce Hub. It's awesome. It does all the things you need to do." It's great. Uh, and you're like, oh, that's super great. Let's let's set it up. Um, Zebra is really for, I have a pre-existing Stripe account. I am a SaaS business. I'm a coaching company. I'm a publishing organization. I'm any type of business that that leverages Stri- marketplace, uh, PLG, free trial type of orgs. I use yep. Stripe really heavily. Uh, and yep. so we rebuild all of your Stripe data model in HubSpot. So you get subscription objects, transaction objects, all of those data infrastructure. Uh, and then you get all of the admin, typically like you'll go build an admin console for your like subscription management, and everything else. We bring yep. all of that into HubSpot. Uh, so like Carta is a customer of that. They're using it for uh, someone signs up, they create a free account. 
They then want sales to activate against that free account. And then they want sales to be able to close and upgrade that account. And that whole experience is incredibly disjointed in the technology. Uh, and so Zebra says, if you use Stripe and use HubSpot, we'll make your life awesome. Uh, and, and that's kind of the, the pitch in the play. So if yeah. you have customers that use Stripe and HubSpot, we have a partner program, hit up Max Cohen. We can talk about him and our LinkedIn strategy and everything else some other time. Nice, nice. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Um, as a SaaS company uh, ourselves, um, who've built a self-serve uh, billing system, I know how freaking complicated it is to build on top of Stripe and sync with all our other systems like HubSpot. Uh, and so I think uh, if we had to do it all over again, we'd probably look for a solution. <laughs> Like you're talking about it. And I think if I were advising, especially an earlier stage startup, soft startup, like find something that does that stuff out of the box. Don't put three engineers on it for six years to try to make, keep, you know, build and maintain yeah. that. So we used to have a joke at HubSpot where um, that we spent as much money um, building systems for our internal teams and to manage customers as we did on the actual software. Um, and so I think, uh, having tools like this is, is important for SaaS companies so they can focus in on what their, what their actual customers care about, which is, you know, features and functionality. Yeah. And the most common objection we have is like, well, can our engineers go build this? And we're like, oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for, yeah, for sure. yeah. That <laughs> seems like a not great idea, but like you could for sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cool. All right, Connor, anything else you want to add before we jump? Nothing. I'm. I thanks right. for having me. This is a blast. Yeah. Uh, we got to look at a bunch of data I don't normally look at, which is fun. Well, yeah, you said that. You said that. I have a few little questions just to wrap up, if that's okay. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. You, it was interesting to you that looking at the data was interesting to you. What do you mean by that? What did you mean by that? I I spend very little time on our uh, like our big top of funnel. I'm I'm not a marketer. I think maybe the different thing that's weird yeah. is like I I've, I'm not a marketer. I've never been a marketer, uh, and so I think. Among HubSpot partner people, I'm weird. Uh, but the time I'm looking for traffic ever, and yeah. I don't think about it. Uh, and so it's interesting. Got it. Cool. All right. Well, I'm glad we could uh, enlighten you, uh, or at least make you aware of some of your numbers below. Just means closely. our marketing team is doing a great job. Not what actually means. And it's a great job. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. All right. Um, cool. Um, where can people contact you if uh, if they want to get a hold of you? LinkedIn, best place. Uh, I'm yeah. more responsive on LinkedIn than I have people that on LinkedIn will like message me their their cell number and they're like text me and I'm like yes, you're much more likely you'll reach me here than on text. I assure you. Or yeah. really, oh, text is mine. I don't give my number out to many people though. But all right, uh, so it's Connor Jeffers, C O N N O R Jeffers, J E F F E R S on LinkedIn. Are you the only one? Uh, you'll you'll find me. It'll be it'll be yeah, obvious. But if, there, if there's more, I've I've got to go reach out to them. I'll make like the the Connor Jeffers party, like the the Jeff one on Facebook from ages ago. All right, Connor. Uh, thank you for sharing so openly, uh, so that we all can learn from each other's successes. And uh, and uh, we will. I'm sure we'll see you on LinkedIn uh, shortly. And I'm sure I'll end up talking to you at some point in the future here. So thanks again for uh, coming on and and sharing so. Openly. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you more soon. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.